the parable of the sower, which I'm sure is, is familiar to most of you. Uh, this, I'm going to read it in just a second, but this is a parable that's, in my experience, and probably mostly yours, interpreted from the perspective of a preacher who preaches the word, and then um, how he, he or she does it is somewhat important, but what's more important is how you listen. So what kind of, what kind of ground is the seed of what I'm saying now falling on? And that can be a sermon, or that can be an evangelistic conversation with someone, and that's usually the context in which this parable is placed. And I think that's a true, a true thing. And as I mentioned, actually, in the last couple Sundays, preachers like nothing more than to realize that their words are falling on soil that will generate uh, 70, 80, 90, 100 percent. That's, of course, what we would like most of all. So that is certainly true. But that's really, um, the meaning is not smaller than that, but it's way bigger. That's what I want to get to today. But um, um, before we'll do that, we'll read the story. But just before we read it, I want to comment that, especially in Matthew, it's not so much true in um, Mark and Luke. This is a parable that appears in all three Gospels. This parable is is couched in Matthew after a couple paragraphs of um, a chapters of conflict between Jesus and the Pharisees, the religious leaders. This is not just some peaceful commentary in a church about how to listen to a sermon. In fact, you may be able, after this week, a little better to imagine what it must have been like in Israel at the time. I don't think it's exactly a one-to-one equivalent, obviously. But the tensions that you've seen on TV and on the radio and in your newspapers that are happening in Israel now, those same kind of tensions were there. It was a violent place. It was a place where the Romans were occupiers. It was a place where soldiers were all over the place, using the best military equipment of the time. It was a place where crosses dotted the skyline was full of societal and religious and political and economic tension. And it's into that setting that Jesus spoke this parable. Most likely, at least it certainly is the first one that's recorded, may have been the first one that he spoke. So it's a very, 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 very important parable, which for him must have had a ton of meaning in a very, very, very tense and explosive situation. So let's read it. Matthew 13, 1 to 23. The same day, and this is after just, this is continuing the story after he's had these words of conflict with the Pharisees. The same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the sea. And great crowds gathered about him so that he got into a boat and sat down. And the whole crowd stood on the beach. And he told them many things in parables, saying, A sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seeds fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured them. Other seeds fell on rocky ground where they did not have much soil. And immediately they sprang up since they had no depth of soil. 
But when the sun rose, they were scorched. And since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears, let him hear. Then the disciples came and said to him, Why do you speak to them in parables? And he answered them, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. For to the one who has, more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. This is why I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. Indeed, in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled, that says, and I just want to stop here and note, for the next little bit, Jesus is quoting from Isaiah. He's quoting from Isaiah chapter 6, almost verbatim, word for word. We're going to come back to that in a second. Just remember Isaiah chapter 6 in your mind. The prophecy of Isaiah is filled that says, You will indeed hear, but never understand, and you will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. For truly I say to you, many prophets and righteous people longed to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. Hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. As for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while. And when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. As for what was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. As for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields, in one case a hundredfold, in another sixty, and in another thirty. Now, I just mentioned um, Isaiah chapter 6, and uh, I don't have it up on the screen, and um, if you want to turn to it, feel free, uh, but I'll just, I'll just note, Isaiah chapter 6 is this story of uh, Isaiah meeting, uh, Isaiah seeing God. He has this vision of God up in the temple, you may remember that, with the cherubim and the smoke and the train of God's robe filling the temple, and the angels are praising and then um, Isaiah looks up there and he confesses his sin to God. And the angel comes down and puts the hot coal on Isaiah's lips. And Isaiah says, here I and, and And God says, who will go? And Isaiah says, here I am, send me. And then these verses that Jesus quotes about, yeah, you can go, but they're not going to listen. Those verses are in this passage. And the passage concludes with this verse, uh, these couple of verses. Then Isaiah said, How long, O Lord, how long should I go? And God said, 
Until the cities lie waste without inhabitant and houses without people and the land is a desolate waste and the Lord removes people far away and the forsaken places are many in the midst of the land. And though a tenth remain in it, it will be burned again like a terebinth or an oak whose stump remains when it is felled. So God is saying to Isaac, you go to Isaiah, you go and preach this message I'm giving to you. And they're not going to listen to you. And the whole place is going to be destroyed. And then here it comes. There's going to be this stump that's left. And then, then um, in the book of Isaiah, it says, the holy seed is in the stump. So Isaiah has this picture of the destruction of Israel, the destruction of Jerusalem. And there's this stump left. And in this stump is a seed. And I think that's why Jesus' first parable of the kingdom is picking up on this theme. Jesus has Isaiah 6 in his mind. He's picking up this seed idea. That's the connection between these two. I will comment before I go any further that uh, most of what you're hearing today comes from one of my favorite books of all time. I don't know if I've ever used it here before. I don't think so. It's by Robert Farr Capon called Kingdom, Grace, and Judgment. If you would like to read a book on the parables that will blow your mind, I urge you to uh, to pick this up. He's just a, an excellent writer, um, very good at, at picking out the themes and doing all kinds of interesting things with him. There's a lot of humor in it. Uh, so I highly recommend this book to you and say right away, most of the ideas that you'll hear today are right, uh, right from Robert Farr, who passed away a few years ago. The first thing I want to note, and this is the section for the nerds, is, um, and now I lost my place, Matthew 13. When Jesus tells this story about the farmer scattering the seed, it's interesting that that in the Greek, there's no word seed. The English has to put it in. But if you read it kind of the way it is, it says something like this. The, the, The word that's used is sowing or scattering. A farmer went out to sow, and as he was scattering... Some fell along the path. Some fell on rocky places. It sprang up quickly. Other fell among the thorns. Still other fell on good soil where it produced the crop. So the word seed doesn't appear in the, in the original language. And you'll catch, uh, the importance of that in, I think, just a little bit. Uh, because of the, when it does, when the, when the, when it does appear, it, it has a, a significant meaning. But I found it very, I never realized this before this week. The word seed never, never appears here in this section. It's, it's all kind of in the path. The, the farmer is sowing and scattering and seed is implied and then it is growing, which is this implication. So Jesus tells this parable and then the disciples ask him why Jesus speaks in parables. And Jesus, of course, gives them this answer quoted from Isaiah 6, which sounds a little bit weird. They're not going to get it. They're not going to understand it. And the one who does get it, he'll get a little more. And the one who doesn't get it, what he has been, will be taken away away from him. 
You will hear, but never understand. You will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull with their ears. They can barely hear, and their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and turn, and I would hear them. And Capon makes the point, and I think he's right here, that these are, these are hard words, but they're not words talking about what God is going to do. They're words that talk about consequence. If we are not going to open our ears and open our eyes and open our hearts to the seed of the gospel, to the good news, to Jesus and to his Holy Spirit and to his word, then we're going to miss it. We're going to miss this kingdom thing that's happening. And that's going to have consequences. So Jesus is trying to say here. It's, it's not designed to scare us in the sense that we're, we, need to, we need to listen to the sermon or the wrath of God is going to fall upon us. That's not the point. The point is this, this word of the kingdom, this seed of the kingdom is coming into the world. And if you don't open yourself up for it, you're going to miss it. And that missing it will have consequences. And then Jesus does give an explanation of the sower. Hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, So in the next section that follows, there is going to be the word seed. Uh, It's in there. It's it's the Greek word sperma, which I'm sure is is familiar to to you. But then there's this word which is going to occur over and over and over again. When anyone hears the word, the word is sown. When anyone listens to the word and does it. And I would guess that when most of you think of this word, word, you think of this, right? This is the word of God. And that fits perfectly with the idea that the preacher preaches in our churches through history. The preacher preaches the word of God. And then the question is, how do you responding to it? What kind of soil are you? Actually, the Greek word that's translated word in this explanation of the parable, is the Greek word logos. It's not word like spoken word, and it's not word like Bible. It's logos. And let me quote Robert Farr Capon. The primary meaning of the phrase, the word of God in the New Testament and in Christian theology as well, It has got to be one that is consistent with the Johannine teaching that the Word is the one who was in the beginning with God and who is, in fact, God himself. In the New Testament times, when you heard this word logos, you attached a whole world of meaning to it. And especially in the Old New Testament church, and especially after the Gospel of John, which begins with the words, in the beginning was the Word, the Logos, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. 
More than that, says Capon, it has to include the notions that the Word is the one by whom all things were made, that he is the one who, coming into the world, lightens every person, and that he is the one, finally, who became flesh and dwelt among us, in short and above everything else, the word, as it's used here, has to mean the eternal Son, God of God, light of light, true God of true God, the second person of the holy and undivided Trinity. Who's the sower? God the Father. Who is the seed sown? Jesus. The Son. It means that in the plain terms of the parable, Jesus has already and literally been sown everywhere in the world and quite without a single bit of earthly cooperation or even consent. I don't know if you get the difference here. God is the sower, not not this preacher. What's being sown is not the Bible or three points or a well-put-together sermon. And the end result is not that people listening to the sermon go out and do something with it, as good as all of that is. That's not what this parable is talking about. This parable is talking about Jesus himself. It's the first parable that Jesus tells, picking up from Isaiah 6 about this seed that's left over. Most important parable. How does the kingdom of God work? And it works by God sowing the seed that is Jesus. And it's everywhere. This seed falls in every single kind of soil that you can imagine. There's no place where you can go where this seed isn't present. And it's mysterious. It's very small. Seeds are very small. If you've planted seeds, you know that. They disappear. Often after you've planted them, you can't find them again. They die in one way or another. Doesn't look like very much. This mysterious thing that you can't really see, but it's everywhere. And then it actually does work. In every single kind of soil that this paragraph, that this parable talks about, the seed does its work. It grows. It starts to move out of the soil. It does something. And now if you know the parable or if you've listened to the parable, you're going to say that's not exactly true because there was a seed that fell on the hard ground and the birds took it away. And Capon makes the point, admittedly, probably a little bit tongue-in-cheek. But if you know anything about birds, and I know almost nothing about birds... But if you know anything about birds, you know that birds tend to eat their weight in seed every day. 
and that birds are one of the most important ways that seeds get spread around the world, right? So even then, something's happening. This logos, this word of God, this seed is being scattered around everywhere. There's nothing that can stop it from doing its work in the end. And in this book, um, Capon has a couple of illustrations. Uh, this book was printed, this, these books were written back in the 1980s. Um, and he has a couple of illustrations in the book, and the only way I could get them was take photos of them. So I have two photos. So, so here's the first Here's the first, um, I hope you can see this. Yeah, if you're here in the building, you certainly can see it. This is the way we think, we tend to think that God works. He's up in heaven, and we often, uh, in the church tradition, we use the word sovereign. We talk about God's providence. He's reaching down, and he's doing stuff. And, of course, in the history of the Bible, if you go through the Bible, you have God reaching down and creating, and you have God reaching down and dealing with Abraham and dealing with Moses and then dealing with Jesus and then the second coming. God is up there reaching down. That's the way we all grew up, probably. Here's the way Capon draws what the parable of the sower means. God, Jesus is underneath everything. He's not up there at a far distance. He's in the soil of the world. And he's working. And every once in a while, something special pops up like creation. (laughs) Or Abraham, or Moses. Or Jesus. And I would put the church in there. I have a little quibble with him there. I'd put the church in there. I wouldn't put such a low thing between Jesus and the second coming. But it was 40 years ago. You see the difference? Jesus is saying at the very beginning of his ministry, the most important parable Saying, I am come, I am the seed that's spread around the world in every possible kind of soil that there is without any human intervention or consent at all. I am there. And I am going to do my thing. And it is going to produce fruit. And you can count on it. That's the way it works. You may not be able to see it, may not be immediately obvious, may have disappeared in some bird's stomach. The rocks may give it trouble. The thorns and the thistles may give it trouble. In other places, it grows and flourishes and bears fruit. And connect this image with the image in John 14, where Jesus says, I am the true vine, and you are the branches, right? It's this connection. And then connect it 
Is it Galatians 5 or Galatians 6, fruit of the Spirit? Galatians 6, 5. Fruit of the Spirit is fruit idea. Stay in me. Open yourselves up. And you will bear fruit. Love, patience, kindness, all of those. You see what's happening here? This is not about how you listen to a sermon. It's about that. It's about way more than that. It's about the way the world works. So let me close with these two thoughts and give you these to take away. As we leave this church, whether that's today or in a couple of weeks, go out into your world and think to yourself, where am I going to meet Jesus out here? You have this idea, the only way I can meet Jesus is when I'm listening to a sermon. What if there isn't a sermon in a couple of months? Where are you going to meet Jesus? And I had uh, an opportunity to experiment with these thoughts when uh, this was a little more now than 20 years ago. I started working for the welfare department of the city of Amsterdam. And, of course, in the welfare department, you you work with people who uh, are struggling for various reasons, all, all kinds of reasons, and have ended up in financial difficulty and need some financial support. And I was partly on the basis of this parable trying to retrain myself to see Jesus all over the place in every life, however broken it was, and in every person, and in every circumstance, and in every opportunity, even if I couldn't always see what it was or how it was working, where can I find him? And I still remember having a conversation with a man, I I guess he was in his middle 30s, something like that, and he was a uh, heroin addict and uh, was on welfare, and so we saw him regularly. And I remember him telling me that um, that he was on methadone. The government was providing him methadone. And of course, particularly we in America have all our opinions about whether the government should provide people with methadone or not. But he said to me, he said, my mother is elderly. And she's at home. She's not mobile. And I'm the only person that can take care of her. There's no one else. And I go there every morning, and I give her breakfast, and I get her up, and I get her settled for the day. Then I go there every evening, and I give her her evening meal, and I get her in bed, and I get her settled for the night. And the only reason that I can do that, the only way that I can do that, is if I'm on methadone. If I'm off the methadone, I can't do it. Only way I can do it is if I'm on methadone. Now, there's all kinds of rocks and all kinds of thorns and thistles in that story. But I remember thinking to myself, I still remember it. I remember the room. I remember him. I remember thinking to myself, there's Jesus. Not in a church building. 
But there's Jesus. Somehow this seed of the kingdom working out in such a way that through the rocks and the thistles and everything else that was in the way, this son is serving his mother. A perspective changed my life and the way I think about life and where I'm looking to meet Jesus. And with those eyes, you literally can find him anywhere because he is everywhere. So as you go from this place, do not think you're going to be losing Jesus. You can't lose him because there's no place where he is not. And there's no place where that seed is not going to sprout. But you can make it difficult. Right? You can make it difficult. You can do crazy stuff. You can do weird stuff. You can do wrong stuff. You can ignore him. You can go your own way. You can deliberately choose paths that are not fruitful. When you do that, you'll bear the consequences of it. And we all do every day. And we all do throughout our lives. Those are choices you can make. So the second encouragement I want to give you as you go from this place is pay attention to the rocks and pay attention to the thorns and the thistles and, and, and to the birds and, and to where that seed is. And open yourself up to it. Let it change you. Let it do something for you. Don't walk away from here and leave it alone. If you ignore it, if you don't do anything, then it's going to be a lot harder. Or if you do things that deliberately get in the way of that seed, it, it's, it's going to be hard. It's still going to work. The consequences are going to be more difficult. So as you go from here, do not lose sight of the fact that Jesus is everywhere. And open yourselves up to what he's doing in the middle of the rocks and in the middle of the thorns and in the middle of the thistles. And look for where that fruit is, even in the most unlikely places.